Thank you for tuning in. We trust you will feel encouraged, uplifted, and inspired to build God's kingdom with us. Enjoy the message. I'm talking to you a little bit this morning about having a heart of a volunteer. And uh, we are blessed in our church, and I think we've got a, a, a good set of volunteers. You know, we had a volunteers dinner on Monday, and there was about 150, and, and there was, there's more people, about a, maybe 100 others that didn't come. But I don't think that we have a volunteer heart, all of us. And that's why I want to address this. And, and you know, my style is my, sometimes difficult to handle because I, I seem to just say things as it is instead of butter it or smooth it or sugar it and so on. So if I do stand on your toes, you're probably guilty. That's it. You know, you're probably guilty. That's how it works. Okay. So Henry uh, David Terrell says this, one is not born into the world to do everything but to do something. The problem is that some of us Many of us maybe in the kingdom do nothing, all right? So we're not, we're not here to do everything, but we're here to do something. And the other thing about that something is if I can find that something and really do it well, it's going to make an impact and it's going to make a difference as well. You know, the reality is this, not just this church, but any church, my friend, is largely depending on its volunteers. The success of the church, the effectiveness of its church in its community, it's really depended on its volunteers. The last thing about the community of volunteers is that it generally doesn't cost the church an arm and a leg in salaries. And that is the truth. And you say, ah, you're cheapskate, that's what you're heading towards here, you know? No, it is so that we can invest more in the needs of others around us as well. So we believe, and, and, and I say this from all, from all the pastor's hearts as well, is that we don't make a distinction between paid staff and unpaid staff. It is just our privilege because we've been called to do this to to we've worked ourselves out of work and worked ourselves into another job uh, and we've served and 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 so on and that's why we're doing what i'm doing on a let's call it a full-time basis in inverted commas because in the end we are all full-time in god's service and that's the reality but those of us who earn a salary have the ability to put structures together and so on to help others of us to be equipped and so to do the work of the lord as well volunteering and I'm going to change that word in a moment from, to another word because the word volunteer, uh, let me talk about it later. Uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to understand that, that volunteering is the model for progress and success in a church. And I touched a little bit on some of the stuff and I'm going to elaborate uh, this morning uh, uh, on Monday night with our volunteers and I spoke to the converted. All right, so let's go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12, and then I'm going to give it to you in another translation as well. It says, so Christ gave himself, or Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service. That's so underlined in my Bible. To equip the people, his people, for works of service, so that the body may be built up together. And it's only when all of us start doing our stuff, the stuff that God has called us to do, that the body is being built up together. So the New Living Translation says, some of us have been given special abilities to be uh, as apostles. Others is given the gift of being able to preach. Some of us have special abilities uh, in winning people to Christ, helping them to trust uh, Him as their Savior. Still others have gift of caring for people as shepherd does for his sheep, leading and teaching them in the ways of God. Why is this that he gives us these special abilities to do certain things best? 
Why? And yet comes in language we understand. It is so that God's people will be equipped to do better work for him. That's why some have the gift of teaching and preaching and, and so on. It's so that all of us will be equipped to do better work for him. One of the greatest challenges in a church today, not only in ours but in any church, is to, to get people to give of their money, their energy, and their time to the church. That is some of the greatest challenges, is to give people the resources God has given to them in finances, in energy, in time, in talents, and so on, is to give that back to the Lord, to give that to the church as well. So when we become volunteers, let, let me share something with you that, that, uh, um, that may not be you, but it may be some of us. As when it comes to volunteers, we sometimes secretly adopt a kind of an attitude that we are doing the church a favor. By being a volunteer. We are maybe doing even the pastor a favor or the worship leader or the ministry leader a favor by volunteering for service. And, and, and you know, that indicates that we have not really understood this biblical concept of volunteering. We may see, well, we may not say it, but sometimes we, we, we volunteer, we do them a favor by volunteering, and now we really want it to be treated just a little bit more differently, with a little bit more respect, or a little bit more care, or a little more, more tenderness, or now and then at least mention me from the front, because I give of my valuable time, my money, my energy to the church, you know. Sometimes as volunteers, we are willing to give of our times and, 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 and our efforts. But we just don't want it. Here's another thing. We just don't want the leadership to put us under pressure or to demand excellence from us or to reprimand us when things are not going well in the area that I am involved in. So don't tell me when I'm not doing well because I'm a volunteer, you know. You see, we get offended when people put pressure on us to do better in the area that we have volunteered to do. And some of us, sometimes we feel that, that leaders actually have no right to expect anything more than what I'm already giving as a volunteer. Volunteers often feel that, that uh, no one should press, put pressure on them, as I've said, to, to perform better because we're not getting paid to do this, you know. And that is often the attitude behind that as well. And see, the truth is this, whether we are paid or unpaid, full-time or part-time, we are all called to do what we do for God unconditionally and in excellence or with excellence, the best we can for the glory of God. You see, we have this attitude, I believe, because we really haven't come to fully understand that as a volunteer, I am doing it firstly because I love God with all my heart and I love the family of God with all my heart, with all its warts and its problems and its issues. I love the family. Uh, so when I love God and I love his family, I would, it is my desire, it is the best I can to take the welfare of the family seriously like I do with my own. You may not be able to read it, but Erwin Lutz has said this, the word layman has crept into our vocabulary to describe the laity. That is the vast majority of Christians who do not belong to the professional ministry known as clergy. The use of this distinction has crippled the impact of the church in the world. The fact that we are calling some full-time, part-time laity, some, some clergy has, has crippled the impact of the church on, on the world. Thousands of Christians have, have uh, sh 
that's it, shirked their God-given responsibility uh, because they expect their pastor, their minister, their priest to perform all these special functions. The minister is expected to execute his duties so well that people need not have any meaningful involvement in the church of Christ. The more competent the minister, the better, so that fewer requirements fall on the shoulders of the congregants, the congregation. And I know we may not say that aloud, but in the end, as we're looking for skilled leaders, skilled pastors, so that they can do it, so that we don't have to do it. We've created this distinction between clergy and laity, and it has damaged the church and the effectiveness of the church in our community as well. Because certain times we say only certain people can do certain things when God calls me to do it. Somebody phones me and, and is so excited and he says, I don't know if I did the right thing. I said, what did you do? And I expect this really, really bad thing, you know, like you beat up a policeman who tried to arrest you for speeding or, or whatever. And, and, and he says to me, I was uh, in a hospital the other day and, and I felt God is saying to me, pray for people. And I just got up and I went from chair to chair to pray. Pastor, I don't know if I did the right thing. I said, why didn't you do? Of course you did the right thing. This is amazing. This is fantastic that you didn't call me to bring up a can of oil and to spray people, anoint them and come and pray. You did it. This is amazing. You're doing exactly what God has called you. You see, have you ever noticed, my friend, that the Bible actually never uses, those of you who have got Google, see if I'm right. It doesn't use the word volunteer or give a definition of volunteer. People are now so spiritual that they will not Google it. I mean, normally they do Google the sports and the tennis results when I preach. But now that I ask you to do it, nobody is. Just Google and see and then put your hand up if you find it. Do you find the word volunteer in the Bible? Do you find the definition for volunteer in the Bible? Because volunteer basically means this. It says a person is giving of their service to an organization without remuneration. I don't see that in the Bible. But I do see people who serve, and I'll come back to that in a moment. You see, the volunteer, the word volunteer has, has created in us an attitude that sometimes uh, um, has created immense pressure on the church and those whom we have appointed and God has called to lead as well. By using this word, we created a, a bunch of people who have developed an entitlement attitude. I pay, you perform. Oh, you know what? Children's church wasn't so good. There, were, there was nobody there to fetch my child. There was no, nobody to sign them in. There were not enough teachers. So what are you doing about it is my attitude sometimes to people like that. If we all serve, why do we expect others to serve when we don't? Why do we expect them to get a great service to my family when I have this entitlement thing? I am not willing to give of my time and my energy, but I expect other volunteers to do the same. With this attitude... Uh, this attitude, I think, threatens the unity and the effectiveness, the work of the church in our community. And I hope in the next few weeks when we look at it, is to dismantle, destroy some of these attitudes and thoughts that we have about what I should or should not be doing, what I should be receiving and, and not giving in my church. You see, this kind of people uh, uh, who serve while they, they are pleased and, and just being pleased when they feel like it, and when they don't feel like it anymore, when they're not satisfied anymore, they move to the next church and they go and repeat it there again. It is nomadic. It is nomadic believers move from church to church just to be kept happy. You know, I talked to some of the young people and we're going through some issues and, and, and one of the things I said, there's three words we use when it comes to, to people in the church. One is, is freeze, flight, or fight. And sometimes when things don't go well, we freeze. 
And then most of us, instead of fighting, not one another, but fighting for what is right, fighting for the glory of God, fighting for God's honor, we go from here to there, to the back door, to out. There's flight mode that we go in. As I think that's the nomadic mode that we have in church today. Instead of saying, let's make a difference, man. Let's push on because it is the kingdom of God that is at stake here. We're here to make an impact. See, we've created a culture in the church that promotes distinction between full-time, part-time, paid, unpaid clergy, laity, professional, and amateur. And only the professionals can do certain things. No, they are there, and they're not even professionals. They are there to help us to do the work of the ministry. We should never have the shortage, not in a church like this. We should never have a shortage of volunteers in our church. And I think we have because we have adopted a wrong attitude. We've adopted a volunteer kind of attitude instead of a biblical attitude, which is servanthood. Servanthood. You see, like I said earlier, we don't find the definition of volunteer in the Bible. The word is not used, but the word servant is definitely used in the Bible. And and we need to change that attitude in our congregation, in our own life, in my own heart as well. As I said, a church this size should have lines of people saying, where do you want me to, what do you want me to do? When am I, when am I next to be able to do something? And not standing at the back and, 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 and hearing us calling and calling for different areas. We should be flooding the opportunities and create much more. The word volunteer, my dear friend, I think we should replace with the word servanthood because that's biblical. That is biblical. You see, we should move away from using the word volunteers and start using the biblical word servant and and find the definition of such and, and live that definition in our lives, in our families, in our churches as well. And we did it with our children since this high. We said you will go with and you will do X, Y, and Z because that's what we do as believers. And and sometimes I had to bribe them and those days paid them like 50 cents or whatever or five rand, that was maximum. That was a major, that was a big salary. And, and, and so on. And so please go and pack the chairs with me. Please go and do this with me. Oh, no, but I'll give you five. Yes, Dad, I'm in. You know, I'll serve Jesus now. You know? And so we had to undo this attitude that whenever I do something for God, I need remuneration. Because it's my time, you see. I think we need to accept and change. The, word, the Bible uses, instead of servanthood, the word slave and bond slave. Or bond servant. And you know what the difference is. We've spoken about it here before. The word slave is basically as you, I'm catching you. I take you by your earrings. I, uh, by your ear, put a hole in there and a chain in there. I take you to my house and you will clean. You've got no choice. The moment you think, if you want to marry, I'll tell you, the boss. I'm the, I own your life. You're a slave. That's what slave, sorry, shouldn't have, to, huh? It's like being married. No, you're right. That is exactly what it means. So, so slave, I, I mean, Steve, um, Let's talk about this, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so that's a slave. A bond slave is very different. You see, Steve, a bond slave is, is, is what you and I have done. As we were in slavery, we were treated well by our masters. We decided to, the master said, I will set you free. You walked into the street and you said, you know what, I love that master so much. I am going to go back and serve the master. And now I'm going to the doorpost of the, that's what you did, I know that's what you did. And you go to the doorpost and you say to your master, listen, take the biggest nail you can find and knock it into my ear. I want a big hole there. And that's what they did. And they knocked a big hole in there. So now you're walking around with that big hole in your ear. And what that demonstrated is you are no longer a slave, you're a voluntary slave. You are a bond slave. You have surrendered yourself. You see, so you say, ah, the duties are now different. Now I'm sleeping inside. No, Steve, you're still sleeping outside. 
in the dog box. Nothing has changed. Your duty still remains. Your loyalty still remains. Your service still remains. The only thing that changes is your heart has changed. A bond slave. Now I do it, Lord, because I love you. Now I'll serve this wife because I love her. I want to be. Not I have to be. All right, that's the difference. So people say, well, I'm a bond slave, so now I've got rights. You still haven't got rights. But you willingly chose not to have rights. That's the difference. So that's what the Bible teaches us. And that's what we should be in church. You see, a bond slave has no right to be pampered, has no right to be mentioned, has no right to, to be the something. It's only thing that they have in their heart is gratefulness. Gratefulness that my master is treating me well. We love the Lord. We love his church. We take interest in it. And it's well-being because we love him. So we want the church to be successful because we love him. Elizabeth Andrews says this, volunteers do not necessarily have the time. They just have the heart. Oh man, I hear it often. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. You know, the best volunteers are the ones who are very busy at work. They're very busy at work. They come here, they do the job, they do it well because they're also busy at work and they know time is precious. You see, a person with a biblical servant attitude is one whose heart is right. In their heart, they are willing to say this, my life is not my own. I am willing to offer my service to God before I am even asked. Ah, oh, that would be nice. That would be so nice in church before we even ask is that my name is on the list before you even ask because my heart is right. I am a bond slave. I, I belong to the Lord Jesus. I'm ready to give my time and money, my abilities, my resources, my gift, whatever the request is, even before the appeal is made. I am volunteering to serve the church and to serve the Lord, not necessarily the pastor or the leader but to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve his family. That's what I'm willing to do. You see, a person who has a biblical servant attitude uh, uh, develops also a couple of things in their lives. One is a thick skin. A thick skin when it comes to offenses. A biblical slave, a, a, a bond slave, doesn't get offended by everything and anything that goes around, didn't go my way, that didn't happen exactly, now I'm resigning because this is happening, and somebody else, now, oh, I'm going, oh, you know, thick skin. They get a little bit thick skin and they say, because I'm doing it for Jesus. And because I'm doing it for Jesus, I'll do it his way as well, which is in submission and servanthood. You see, a biblical a servant has a builder's attitude and not a demolisher's attitude. Oh, there's some people, the moment somebody lays a brick down, they take it down. They, they, you, you put it down, and, you, you, on, you know, and I've seen some builders. Man, it's so discouraging if the guys, they, they, they sort of on, on the third or fifth line, of, and the boss comes and he says, nah, it's a you know, and the builder goes, ah. you know. Now, obviously, we want something to be straight. You know, that's normal. You know? But it's quite discouraging, I think. You know, so that's why I don't want to be a builder. Um, and so anyway, but a, a biblical servant is a builder and not a demolisher. You put a brick down, I'll help you to put the next brick down. Not necessarily take over from you, but I'll help you to do that as well. That's a great attitude. A person who's a biblical servant or has that attitude is like I just said, a husband or a wife or a son or a daughter who is eager to love and to serve and not looking all the time, I will do, but I will also demand then. I will give you if you give me uh, payback. Keeping a little book of expenses and outstanding balances, balances in family is not a good idea. 
Well, you know, I did this, so you've got to do that. You know, that's, that's not a bond slave. That's not a servant attitude. A servant attitude, some people say, ah, oh, that's a pipe dream in church. That's not going to happen. It's unreasonable expectation. That's not going to happen. I think we can cultivate it and embrace it in our church so we can turn this community right side up. We can touch people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, disciple them, grow them, and get them to repeat what we have done. You see, the true nature of this servant, this bond slave, is to make somebody else happy. Him and you. That's why I'm here. That's why you are here. Let me tell you, a a person with a servant attitude is one who, who I believe whom God will pour a special favor on. I have seen it time and time and time and time again. That these, God is almost like he pours out, why do do I say that? I believe he does that because he himself has the heart of a servant. And he wants you to be like him. Listen to Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1 and verse 24. It says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. The nation that did not call on my name, I said to them, here I am. In other words, I offered them. I came to them. I am God, but I came to them. Before they even call, I answered them. While they are still speaking, I will hear. This is God's nature. And this is how God wants us to live as church people as well. People sometimes complain that the church, oh, that was asking for stuff. And then it's money, and then it's this, and then it's this, and then it's that, and so on. I think it's a fantastic place to be in. Because a church that doesn't ask for stuff is a probably church that is dying or has died already. There's no need for anything. They don't no need for anything. You know, when a church starts asking stuff, I'm saying, yeah, these people are doing something. You know, I hear another appeal. Yes, because God is growing it. And another appeal for people. To, yes, because God needs more servants in his place. And, and I think that's what, 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 what is so exciting about a, a growing church. Is a growing church has growing needs. And a growing needs means it's dynamic. It's growing. It's, it's making an impact. And, and by, by, by having that church grows, uh, uh, growing and having some, some of those needs, they also need dynamic, sustainable volunteers, servants who will be happy to give of their service. It doesn't mean happy to give of my service that I will attend a Bible study who somebody else will run and if it's not on time, they're in trouble. It means I will do what God gives me to do. As we spend our money and our talents and our time, the church grows and as the church grows, we need more and we need more to be invested so that we can continue to grow the kingdom of God. My dear friend, anything that doesn't stop dies doesn't grow, dies. Anything that stops growing dies. That's the reality. And a thing that dies starts rotting. And a thing that rots starts smelling. And you know, the opposite is also true, is that anything that's alive, anything that grows has life, and life reproduces itself. And to uh, life that is being reproduced is exciting. It is not always easy. It's not always uh, 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 comfortable, but it brings great joy to know that I'm part of something as an individual, something that is growing, something that is dynamic, something because I'm doing it for the master. And I'm asking you today, come on, let's get involved in the master's business. Let's not have the spectator attitude uh, and, and so, and that so many of us have in the body of Christ. Eleanor Roosevelt says this, when you cease to make a contribution, you begin to die. 
That's what my dad said at the age of 60 when I said, what are you going to do now? Sit at home, do nothing. He says, I'm starting a new job. I've retired. I've sold my business. I'm starting a new job. When he was 68, I said, what are you doing now? He says, I've started another new job. I continue just to do what God wants me to do. I'm busy. I'm more busy now leading souls to the Lord. And he did. More, led more souls to the Lord than anybody or many of us put together. Because just day to day, he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Four or five people a day in hospitals, in cancer wards. He would go and lead to the Lord as well and pray for them as well. So how do I create this, this servant attitude? This mindset of servant. I think firstly by going to what the Bible says. Let me quickly take you through that attitude in the Bible as well. I'm going to use the word volunteer, but it's not really used in the Bible. But in the Old Testament, the, 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 just moving on a little bit, two slides. Uh, in the Old Testament, the army were a bunch of volunteers. They didn't get paid to be in the army. So where do I get that from? A number of places. But one issue is that David was sent to his brothers to go and bring them food because they did not have food. In other words, the guys went, volunteered, went into the army, and their families supported them. There was the culture created as well. You're doing it for folk and fatherland, for, for the people. You're doing it for your nation. So David went in there. Caleb, here's an interesting thing. In, let me find that scripture because you can write those scriptures down. Caleb in Judges chapter 1 verse 12, there was a need for somebody to take charge of the army and to go uh, uh, and to attack and take, uh, um, uh, take captive the enemy. So here Caleb gets up. Here's an interesting one. I, I didn't try that. I should have tried it. And he gets up and he says, anybody who's willing to lead this army, I'll give you my daughter in marriage. Heinrich, ek moes vir so but I didn't, you know. I let you off so easy, eh? you know. And so, so isn't that interesting? He says, anyone who volunteers to lead our army, I will give you. She must have been beautiful because somebody stood up and did it. You know, so, uh, so Judges chapter 10 verse 18. And, and they looked for a volunteer. And, and if you go and look at that verse, it says, anybody who would, like, who would volunteer to lead us again in, a, in, a, in an army situation, uh, in a battle situation, he says, we will make you our king. What a reward. We'll make you our king. First Samuel chapter 22. David assembled an army, but he did not recruit them. Instead, they came to him. Go and read that scripture. And they volunteered to be under his leadership and be in his army. When David was facing a challenging situation, 1 Samuel chapter 25, verse, verse uh, 5 and 6, he, he asked them because he had to go down to Saul's camp at night and, and so on. And, and he says, who will go with me into the camp of Saul? And Abisha stood up and said, I will go with you. Volunteer. And later David rewarded him as the commander in chief. You see, my dear friend, leadership doesn't come automatically to us as well. So we should all be volunteering, but if you have an aspiration to be a leader, leadership is, is not just a desire that God places in your heart, but leadership comes through true servant hearts. That's what, how it happens. Paul encourages elders in the church in First uh, uh, Peter 5 verse, verse 1 or 2, and he says, be eager to serve right there at the end. He says, you must be this, that, and so on and so on, but in the end, you must be eager to serve because you are servants. 
You see, designing leadership is great. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Eager, it's great to desire the offers of an elder, but it comes through discipleship. And the example is like that in Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 22, 30. Here's uh, the mother of, of, of the sons of Zebedee. As he comes to Jesus and she says to him, Jesus asks, he says, what do you want? Um, you know, he obviously said it with a great attitude. And she says, oh, sir, Jesus, won't you grant that my sons, one of them will sit at your right hand and one at your, your, your left hand in the kingdom? You see, I'll tell you just now who these sons of Zebedee were. But now she goes and the mommy says, you know what, just give him a place of honor. And Jesus says, I can't do that. That's impossible. He says, uh, can they drink the cup I'm, I'm going to drink? And says, oh, no, we can. And he says, okay, I'll tell you something like that. Uh, some people now got really upset with the mother and the two brothers. You see, it's, it's always like that. And then Jesus called them together and said, come here. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high priest officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He's talking to his disciples. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be not a necessary always, but your servant. Must be your servant. And whoever wants to be, be first must be your slave. See, that doesn't sit so lacquer with me because of the culture that I'm in. Because slave and servant is, is like beneath me and stuff that I don't really want to do, but yet God calls us to do this stuff, to be a slave and a bond, bond servant. You see, the sons of Zebedee, if you wondered who they were, they were James and John. James was one of the first disciples and John became a fantastic evangelist. Because Jesus says, you're going to get there, but through servanthood. That's how you get to leading anything in my kingdom. Leadership through servanthood. You see, leaders are, are self-motivated servants. They motivate themselves, and then they also motivate other people to come and take opportunities with them. And some people wait to be appointed as leadership. Leaders in the barn, you're going to wait a long time. A long time. But leaders who just serve and get others to serve with them, leaders who, who take, who self-motivate themselves and take opportunities, watch what God will do through your life. You don't have to be the best. Look what God is going to do through to your life because he looks at your attitude and your heart as well. I'm almost done and I, and I want to just finish here quickly this morning. I think a servant heart is the number one ingredient for every, look at my fingers, volunteer. A servant heart. Church members must want to serve. That indicates a heart that is right with God. That indicates a heart that is ready to take responsibility for the kingdom of God. Servant leaders, I believe, go to the events of the church. They're there first, they leave last. We had an event the other night, the other day, and I was looking to see who were there first and who were there last. And I could see servant leaders in them. You see, the greatest example why I should be a servant leader is because Jesus himself did it. He wasn't the big shot and the big boss. He actually told them sometimes, keep quiet, don't, don't blow me out. The, 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 don't, don't talk so nicely about me. I'm, yeah, my time is not ready yet. You know? So listen to Matthew. We, we've been there. Matthew chapter 25, uh, 20 verse 25 to 28. He calls him and he says, the rulers of the world do this kind of thing. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Listen to verse 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Some of us have come to be served. And your attitude shows it the moment you, you get in here. You know? Sorry, I'm, like I said, my, I'm, 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 your toes might be sore, but it's maybe because you're guilty. 
It shows at the gates where we put our kids in there, immediately an attitude. Well, come to serve then. Come to help us. We need you, adults. You know, we've got on a Friday night here, 80, 90, 100 young people, the majority of people who serve in our church, the majority by far, am I right, Nick? You tell me if I'm lying, are under the age of 23 in this church. We're going to turn that around. Not because I'm going to whip you, but it's because you know what? That is a bad example to our youngsters from us as old bullies or older people or old bullies as well. Okay, so Jesus says to him, you serve because the son of man, the one who's showing you what to do is exactly doing what I'm expecting you to do. I'm a servant as a leader. I want to connect in closing a last scripture with you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which come from the Spirit. Here's what we pray. Lord Jesus, make me just like you. What I mean? Oh, make my halo shine. Make me holy, right? It's not bad. It's right to pray that way. Because I want to be like them in righteousness and holiness. I want to be, Lord Jesus, give me your power. To heal the sick and drive out the demons. Please continue to pray that. But you know, what I see in the verse that I just read before you, is he says, if you want to be like me, become a servant. Aww. That's what my kids used to say to me when we said something I didn't. And I, yes, we're going to go on holiday. But you've got to pack your own stuff. Aww. And when we come, we, we're going to go for two weeks. Yes. And when we come back, you guys are cleaning the car. Aww. I like the good stuff. Lord, I want to be holy. I want to have the power. I want to have the stuff. I want to, I want to shine. But a servant. Oh, that's not so lacquer. And he says, well, if you want to be like me, you've got to be like me. I've demonstrated that I am a servant. So why don't you do it as well? Why don't I do it as well? I hope, I trust that our attitude will start changing when it comes to this stuff. That there will be no need in any church in our community for servants. No need for servants. And if you don't know what to do, continue to press our buttons. So say, oh, I've asked you before, well, find out. Find out. And just do it. Continue to do it. Talk to us. Let's trust God to get you involved in doing the stuff for the kingdom of God. I raise a high.